Hello, this is Michael Kane here to tell you that Radio Free Brooklyn is now offering podcasting services to people in the community. Some of you may know that Radio Free Brooklyn is able to generate revenue for our station to keep us on the air by offering affordable podcast services to people in the community. Now, if you're thinking about starting a new podcast or just want to get yours out of the kitchen and into a professional studio where it belongs, Radio Free Brooklyn offers a low hourly rate, which includes a technician. So all you need to do is show up and record. Now, I understand the dangers. Excuse me, Yo-Yo Ma. I'm going to turn you down. Turn you down a little bit. I understand the dangers of doing a podcast in your kitchen. Every time I'm in a kitchen, somebody blows the bloody doors off of the kitchen. And then someone in the kitchen gets killed. And I'm there in the dust, picking up to pieces. Looking like a damn fool, because I didn't know they were going to do that. Otherwise, I would not have gotten everyone together in the kitchen. Which for me is a place where I like to gather. Listen to my chill out remixes. You're in the kitchen with me. You are not safe. The last time, so here we go. Let me just, let me just fess up with something. I have a podcast that's coming out on Earwolf, on the Earwolf Network soon. And in that podcast, I, Michael Caine, reviewed a movie, Rugrats in Paris, one minute at a time. I go through every minute of the movie, and I talk about it in depth with me and a guest, sometimes more than one guest, because God knows... There's so much going on in that movie that just one man cannot review it one minute at a time by himself. So look for that uh, Kane on Rugrats coming soon. Anyway, I used to record this podcast in my kitchen, but then people kept blowing up the kitchen. And again, people should know when they're in the kitchen with me, it's not a safe place to be. And it's hard for me to admit I like the kitchen so much. Anyway, for people with problems like me, Radio Free Brooklyn has the answer. And that is to use the offer code YPR when scheduling by September 1st. That's really soon. That's next Sunday. You use that offer code YPR, you get 20% off the cost of your first recording with us. So go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash podcast studio and enter your coupon code to get your discount. Again, that's YPR. Use YPR when scheduling. You get 20% off the cost of your first recording with us. And you just go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash podcast studio and enter your coupon code to get your discount. RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash podcast studio before September 1st. Ow! Another bomb! Hi! This is a pre-recorded message from me, Colby Smith, the host of Young Persons Radio, which airs every Sunday morning on Radio Free Brooklyn from 10 to 11 a.m. We are preceded by Fifth and Long, the great sports show. We are followed by Two Thumbs Undecided, the movie review show. And then at noon, the Brooklyn conversation with Rosie. And then at 1 p.m., Objection to the Rule, Radio Free Brooklyn's answer to the Sunday morning political talk show, 
circuit, every possible base you have, is covered. This and every talk show Sunday on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm sorry I can't be with you live, taking your calls as I usually am at 718-928-9732. That's 718-928-9732 to call into my show, Young Persons Radio. But I got I went swimming in the Hudson yesterday, and I got lost. And I'm just kind of floating down uh, the Hudson on a raft right now. It's like me and my boys. Um, and I, I brought all, but, but I knew this was going to happen, so I brought a bunch of my podcast uh, recording equipment with me um and managed to to shoot a file off um uh before we lost a service on the hudson um so just bear with us you know we're, we're going through kind of a tough time i'm hoping uh to be to get found uh the co- we, we brought a couple of flare guns in case this would happen so we've been shooting those off uh pretty regularly um so hoping somebody sees those before we run out the hudson is weirdly deserted uh at the moment um not really sure what is going on. Uh, there's not really anybody around except for me and my boys and our cooler of like sandwiches and uh, brewskis and stuff is kind of running dry soon. Um, so really hoping people people can come and find us uh, quick um, because, you know, it's a it's that's the thing being lost at sea. Uh, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink uh, is kind of how we're feeling at the moment um so you could come out and look for us we'll be floating down the huts and you'll see we're on these kind of bright orange uh, inner tubes um that kind of look like big cheetos uh which is cool and the reason we bought them uh but anyway so i can't host the show live this week uh but luckily uh my buddy brett easton ellis uh has agreed to fill in some of you might know brett easton ellis as the host of uh, the brett easton ellis podcast uh where like every couple of weeks uh, he releases like a three hour podcast and most of it is like him doing an essay uh, and then like talking to a guest about um, the president. Um, but, you know, he's also uh, uh, he's a writer. He wrote American Psycho and uh, Less Than Zero and uh, lots of uh, lots of fun stuff. He's just been, kind of been on the on the scene for a while. And, uh, uh, you know, he's kind of a problematic guy in some ways. Uh, don't agree with everything he says, certainly. Um, so. I've asked him to do a special episode of uh, of uh, the Brady Snell's podcast this morning in, in uh, w, uh, WPR, YPR's slot. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. You can call him. He's going to be taking calls. Again, that number is 718-928-9732. That's 718-928-9732. Uh, go ahead and uh, give him a listen. Uh, uh, this is Colby Smith, and I, I hope to I hope to be back with you guys uh, next week. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Anyway, here's Brett.
I'm Brita Snells, and you're welcome. You're listening to the Brady Snells Radio Show, and we're recording this live on August 25th, 2019, on North Doheny Drive, just below Sunset Boulevard. The call-in number is 718-928-9732. If any of you millennial snowflakes dare to challenge me and my brain, though I don't know why you would, because I would best you. Again, that number is 718-928-9732. At 718-928-9732. But until you do call in, I'm going to conduct this radio show in the exact same way I conduct my podcast, which is by reading an essay I've prepared just for this podcast and couldn't get published anywhere else, and making the listener wait sometimes up to 40 minutes until I get to my guest. So let's begin. With the latest season of Pokemon Adventures in Unova hitting streaming services this summer, now would seem the appropriate moment to revisit the time and place that was 1998 when the Pokemon Indigo League anime first reached American shores. Because it is only by looking back at that all-too-innocent time that we can, at this late stage in the Pokemon saga, remember what it was about those mystical little pocket monsters that so captivated and thrilled us during the fading years of Bill Clinton's presidency and pinpoint the things that got so off the rails with the Pokemon series, which in 2019 is almost as embarrassing and off the rails as the American movie industry, where ideology trumping aesthetics is the inescapable M.O. du jour. It's important to remember, Little Snowflakes, that Pokemon was, to our virgin late 90s eyes, unlike anything we'd ever seen. Like most Gen Xers, I'd been exposed to Japanese animation fairly regularly over the years, mostly through Speed Racer and Mobile Suit Gundam, although I'd watched Neon Genesis Evangelion on VHS tape. Remember those, millennials? It was at my apartment apartment on East 14th Street, in between lines of Coke, which which I was still doing at the time, and continue to talk about ad nauseum to this day. But Pokemon made you unlearn everything you thought you learned about anime. Maybe it was the calculated global marketing rollout combining video games, television, collectible toys, trading cards, some holographics, some not, all into some mesmerizing filigree of immersion into the Pokemon world. Maybe it was the high replayability of Pokemon Red and Blue, the video game's release for Game Boy concurrent with the television series premiere date, which suggested an unlimited number of possible universes for the gameplay based on the simple choice among Charmander, Bulbasaur, and Squirtle. It was impossible at that point to follow the path Ash established in the anime by choosing the the electric mouse Pikachu, who would soon become as iconic as Bug Bunny himself. Although Nintendo would rectify that incongruity soon thereafter with the release of Pokemon Yellow in October of 1999. The Pokemon themselves were so cute, the colors and the iconography were so bright and lurid and operatic, and the structure of the anime was such that it avoided the technocratic penumbra that made Mobile Suit Gundam such a downer, particularly at the... At the dawn of the Reagan 80s, when the term white base was kicked around all so innocently then, and it would soon take on a whole new meaning. Pokemon, by contrast, was all about hope. With its sexless but plucky young hero, Ash Ketchum, drawn as the purest and most perfect avatar for the unearned optimism that so characterized the 1990s in America. What made him think he could be the world's greatest Pokemon trainer? What special quality had he identified deep within himself that could propel him through the toughest of times, the harshest professional setbacks, and brutal traveling conditions presented by terrain like Mount Moon or the Seafoam Islands? What made him think he could stand any chance against the gym leaders, whose sole daily pursuit is the perfection of their battle technique? 
The series doesn't ask these questions because it knows the answers don't matter. They didn't matter to the Japanese under Prime Minister Rutaro Hishimoto. They didn't matter to Americans in 1998, enjoying the economic boom that bre- in that brief moment after the fall of Soviet Union, but before Kosovo and, of course, before 9-11. Because in that brief moment, we all felt like we could be the best like no one ever was. We all felt like we could take on not just every member of the Elite Four, but our rival Gary as well. And we felt like a new world was dawning. Hey guys, it's Colby again, uh, coming to you via another pre-recorded message. Uh, I got my Zoom H4N recorder out here on the lifeboat. Uh, me and my boys are kind of uh, hanging still, just kind of waiting for those re- rescue operation to arrive. Um, if anybody has any contacts with the Coast Guard, um, I know... You know, a lot of not a lot of military types uh, listen to this show, um, despite how like uh, in favor of uh, violence we are. Um, but like, if anybody has like a distant relative or something, or like a neighbor who's always talking about the boat that he has and how he just loves to like sail on the Hudson. Um, or even like anywhere nearby. And now would be a great time to call in that favor. Um, I don't really ask you guys for much, I feel like, other than just kind of berating you into calling every week. Uh, and you're like, don't do that. Um, so like, don't take that uh, approach to this request I'm making from you. Uh, there's kind of no stakes to whether you call in or not, because we still have like a fun time on the show and everything. Uh, but this is kind of... I want to say this is one where uh, I would really like you to actually do what I say. Uh, I would, if I had to guess where we were on the Hudson, I would say we're like, like where F- FDR's house is, which is like a good five hours away from New York City, probably. Uh, if you're driving, um, I don't know about uh, boating. I don't know how like knots, like nautical miles, translate to hours uh in the sea or like on the car or in the car or whatever um so just like i don't know call in some favors or if like if i happen to you know be reaching across the aisle to like uh, a bunch of sailors um it's not fleet week here in new york uh, anymore so uh they probably all left but um if anybody has any just kind of nautical vehicle at all it would be a really really good time to use that and just kind of set sail uh uh, from the whatever port you're nearby and just start heading just start heading upstream um, and I'm sure you will run into us uh, in general uh, my boys just ate the last uh, tuna sandwich so the need for assistance is uh, soon um, but no pressure you know take your time uh, if you, you just just kind of do 
do what you got to do to help me out uh, here. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks, guys. Um, uh, back to Brett. I'm Brady Sales, and you're once again listening to the Brady Sales Radio Show, which we're recording in the placeholder of Young Persons Radio on Radio Free Brooklyn with our friend Colby, who's lost on the Hudson River and has graciously allowed us to step in in his place. That call-in number is the same as Colby's show. It's 718-928-9732. And again, that's 718-928-9732 if you'd like to talk to me. And again, I promised him not to talk about my weird reactionary politics and instead just talk about the second thing I love, which is Pokemon. Now, I have a obligation to listeners, I think, to shed a little bit of light on the longstanding feud between myself and uh, David Foster Wallace, uh, who, despite being kind of the, uh, the, the the saint sage anointed by this generation of readers, as well as the one before it, never really had a lot of patience for me, and I never really had a lot of patience for him, and I think it's time to kind of pull the veil back on uh, that feud and reveal that it was not just aesthetic, it was personal as well. I had dinner with David Foster Wallace at Musso and Frank's here in L.A. in late 1998 at the height of my Pokemania. My Squirtle had just evolved into a War Turtle, and I was comfortably on my way to defeating Lieutenant Surge and collecting the Thunder Badge from the Vermilion City Gym. I brought this up to David, who revealed that he, like the no-talent fuzzball that he was, had chosen Charmander as a starter and was finding it impossible to best the rock-type Pokemon of the first gym leader, Brock, who we know from the anime has the kind of troubled family life that often creates great artists, and in this case, great gym leaders. If Ash Ketchum represented the baseless optimism of youth and indeed of America in the 1990s, then Brock represented the specter of adulthood that loomed so threateningly just on the horizon. When we meet Brock, he's a fierce gym leader, his onyx, that rock snake behemoth, overpowering Ash's Pikachu without so much as breaking a sweat. But soon we learn that this hard exterior is a put-on, a disguise, a smokescreen, a paltry veil barely concealing the pain beneath the surface. Brock's father, Flint, we learn, had abandoned his family, meaning Brock and his Wes Anderson-level coterie of younger brothers and sisters, out of shame from his own failed Pokemon adventures, and who among us hasn't been there? This casts Brock as a kind of millennial George Bailey, a good man forced to sacrifice his own hopes and ambitions to meet the needs of a family that has nowhere else to turn. In other words, a nightmare for the Ash Ketchums of the world. A nightmare! for the Ash Ketchums of the world, who are comfortable leaving their single mothers alone to flirt with Professor Oak just to feel something, anything, that would take their minds off the temporary but perhaps permanent loss of their baby boys. It's curious, then, that Ash and Brock would develop such a strong friendship bond, as their very existence is uh, uh, as their very existence ought to bring out feelings of jealousy and bitterness in each other. 
To Brock, Ash represents the carefree childhood that he never got to have due to his father's own selfishness and devil-may-care attitude. And to Ash, Brock represents the adult responsibilities that will one day prevent him from traveling the world, searching for rare Pokemon, an incubus of grown-up concerns that he shirks in favor of his own boundless dreams and ambitions. I mentioned some of this to David that night at Musso and Frank's, and am met with the same kind of saintly, stomach-churning pacifism that David passed off as compassion in his viral Kenyan commencement speech, This is Water. Of course Ash and Brock are friends, he argued. They recognize in each other the very qualities you describe, and making friends and traveling Kanto together is their way of making peace with their rage and their fear, and not just giving it a name, but traveling alongside it day after day after day. They see in each other the opportunity to grow. Brock to rediscover the childlike optimism and sense of play he had to kill in order to act as an ersatz father to his Irish Catholic-sized family. And Ash to keep in touch with the fact that he knows adulthood is coming, that this can't last forever, and that if he makes peace with it, even makes friends with it, then on the day it comes for him, it won't be as painful as he currently fears. The dinner was precisely the moment at which the feud between David and I was born. It wasn't because David's first novel, The Broom of the System, was praised in the literary press at the same time The Rules of Attraction, my second novel, haha, <laughs> beat him, was getting panned. It, was, it wasn't because David's story, The Girl with Curious Hair, about a bunch of L.A. punks going to a Keith Jarrett concert and causing trouble, was an obvious parody of me and my style. And it wasn't because this town wasn't big enough to hold two famous writers who both included their middle names in their bylines. It was because David and I both looked at Pokemon and saw completely different visions of the world. I saw Pokemon for what I still believe it was a cynical commentary on globalism driven by a main character with a soul as black as night. And David saw it as the ultimate argument for compassion and humanity against a backdrop of systemic violence, uncaring parents, and unchecked capitalism. The two of us could never reconcile these fundamental disagreements and took to trashing each other in interviews constantly, despite still meeting up whenever he was in L.A. or whenever I happened to be, be near that rusted-out shithole he lived in in rural Illinois like a bitch. Hey guys, it's Colby again, uh, coming to you via third uh, pre-recorded message. Um, just uh, kind of giving you another plea to uh, call in any favors you have to come and rescue us from the Hudson. Um, you would think that just kind of floating down a river with your boys would just be like a fun, harmless time. Um, but we kind of have hit a long stretch of the Hudson where there's no place for us to like swim to the side of the river and climb up um it's just like cliff after cliff after cliff uh and i'm not talking like cliff booth from uh, <laughs> once upon a time in hollywood i'm talking uh, uh cliffs that we cannot scale and that are kind of like 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 convex like they're curving out 
toward the river. So even if we wanted to climb it, we'd have to like climb backwards, like we're uh, like we're Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible Two, and like we're not him. Uh, I mean, say what you will about that guy, uh, but he is an, an incredible rock climber. Just, uh, like like really really good. Um, and none of us can do half of what he can do in the rock climbing department. Um, so we're really kind of at a loss here and the cliffs just kind of keep going and there seems to be no end in sight. So we could really use some help. Um, I would say we are maybe like a mile or so south of FDR's house. Uh, we tried to kind of like stop there for a while. Um, but they, it wasn't open cause they, they, you know, it's a close for the season, I guess. Uh, so yeah, anybody who can come and help would be really cool. Um, if you don't want to, you should call Brett at 718-928-9732. Cause, uh, I can tell he's kind of, you know, he's kind of getting fired up and could use, he could use a, uh, he could use a little, uh, someone to talk to, uh, uh, you know, so, uh, just like give him a call. Uh, and if not, you, uh, really should come look for us, uh, because uh, the boys are just kind of like turning on each other. Now, um, there's like a there's like a conch shell that we found uh, that we use to like signal meetings, uh, uh, like when we want to like paddle our our rafts close to each other and like hang out. And um, somebody like broke that, and that's kind of like shattered the illusion of civilization that we were clinging on to. Um, and there's this like fat kid piggy who keeps like he's like being really annoying. Um, and like, I was kind of down with it before I thought he was like kind of fun to like have around, but now he's just like driving me nuts and I'm really afraid of like what I'm capable of doing to him. Uh, I feel like it could get ugly if we don't, uh, you gotta meet this, meet this need here. Um, so, you know, give us a, give a, look us up, find us in the Hudson. We could really use some help. Um, uh, but otherwise, you know, uh, uh, let's go back to bread. Bryce Nils, and this is the Bryce Nils Radio Show, where we're filling in for Colby Smith and Young Persons Radio just this Sunday as a special uh, 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 treat. This is the Bryce Nils Radio Show. I'm Bryce Nils. We have our first caller on the line. Am I right about that, caller? Hey, Brett. Yes, you are. Hey, how, hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. I'm uh, Tim, a regular caller on Colby's show. Uh, you know, I'm excited he's out, though, because, he, you know, it. He always says he wants callers, but it's in that passive-aggressive tone that means he really doesn't want anybody to call. And mm-hmm. something about you today made me really feel more welcome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, despite uh, um, saying a lot of uh, upsetting things from time to time, I do think I have a really nice kind of soft voice, and it's very easy to listen to in podcast form. So thank, I appreciate that. Yeah, something about your voice I find very calming. I feel like I would want to listen to you while I'm taking, say, the SATs huh. or... Uh, filling out a job application. Well, thank thank you, Tim. That's very kind of you to say. Whereas I think I don't think anyone would say the same thing to Colby because he uh, his voice is like, "Hey, it's me, Colby. Hey, I'm annoying." But I have just kind of a calmer kind of tone too. Wait, Brett, Brett, 
Brett, is yeah. Toby in the studio with you? <laughs> no, no, Tim. I, I was doing a very a, a mean impression of him. You were doing... Oh, oh, you, you just pretended that... You, that was you. Wow, that sounded so much like Colby. I know, I know. I Well, I've I listened to his show a lot, and uh, uh, I feel like I can kind of master the quality of his voice, even though my own is very different. Yeah. yeah, so you know what I'm talking about, about how he always complains that people don't call, but really he doesn't want anybody to call at all. It doesn't seem like he wants them. It's, it seems like having them would kind of break up the flow that he gets to uh, with his guests. Uh, I think it would. And, you know, it, sometimes I think he has to do a lot more work to keep the conversation going, like, with certain guests. And even then, like, when it would be really great if someone he, like, knows and likes calls, uh, they still don't call. And I, he doesn't – that's good. He did. He doesn't want that, especially when there's a bad guest. I think he loves digging himself a hole, you know? I think he loves getting somebody where he can be like, listen, I'm the greatest interviewer of all time, mm-hmm. and here is where I prove it. Exactly. Yeah, it's a nice challenge for himself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who's, yeah, who cares? No one's going to be like, like, see an interview with somebody famous and be like, wow, that's a great interviewer, right? Mark Marion wasn't a great interviewer when he interviewed Obama, right? Because any interview with Obama is going to be great. But if you find some schmuck on the street who's giving you nothing and holding you back, and you can squeeze any ounce of gold out of that, man, then you're a legend. Yeah, I could not agree with me more, Tim. I could not agree with you more. Yes. So, Andrew Luck retired today. Who's that? He's a uh, football player for the Colts. He's 29 years old. He got injured all the time, and now he retired. You know, I actually that's so funny that you say that, because I actually played... A lot of people don't know this, but Bennington College, which is a, a, an elite Northeast uh, school uh, where I went to college uh, uh, in the early 80s, they actually have a football team. And uh, me and Donna Tart were uh, kind of like tr- like the quarterback in the center. Uh, Donna Tart was the quarterback, and I was the center on the football team. And I kind of followed football for a long time, uh, but lately I've uh, I've abandoned it in favor of uh, complaining about the president. Mm, mm. So Andrew to, Luck, uh, Andrew Luck retired. Sports. What'd you say? Two great sports. Two great two great sports. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> So, Andrew Luck, tell me about him. I mean, what's to tell? It's sad that, you know, he's he's so young and he's leaving just because the game's so violent and he's been hurt so many times. And, mm. You know, I guess he's rich and he can he can be fine without it, but he's a guy who loves the game. And it's just, it's too dangerous a game, Brett. It's too dangerous. Is that what he you said, know? that the game is too dangerous? He doesn't say it, but if he's retiring at 29 because of injuries, then it's probably a sign that the game's mm. too dangerous. Brett. Now, I don't know anything about Andrew Luck, really, but if he were a Pokemon, who do you think he would be? I'd say he'd be a bit of a Psyduck, you know, somebody who has immense power and ability but is constantly held back by their physical ailments. Huh, a Psyduck. I, who do you think, what Pokemon would you be, Tim, if you were a Pokemon? I would probably be a Psyduck. You, oh, so you and Andrew Luck are the same Pokemon. I like to think of myself as a Psyduck, and I see him as a bit of a Psyduck. In fact, I like to think of most great men as Psyduck, hmm. you know? Yeah. Most great men are Psyducks, I agree. Yes. Um, and, uh, Henry you know, Ford. During Dream at Night, where uh, I, I am in Kanto. Mm-hmm. And I'm greeted by other heroes from the past, Bruce Lee, Andrew Luck, 
uh, Madonna, and we all uh, ascend to the top of the hill, and then we all cried into the night as our bodies slowly transform into yellow stumpy ducks. Trina! Tim, is there a Psyduck with you now? What? No, Brett. No. Oh, okay, okay. You're just, you're just you're just so good at his voice? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Yes. I thought maybe you had discovered a real Psyduck and were keeping it from me until this point in the call. Brett, I wish I was. And you know, if I did have that kind of earth-shattering discovery, I would wait until you got uh, to sub in for Colby's show to make the announcement. <laughs> I appreciate that, Tim. I appreciate everything about what you just said. Yep. Tim? Yep? One final question. Sure. If you were the head of a Pokemon gym, what type of Pokemon would you train at that gym? Hmm. I think uh, that is a real old-fashioned way of looking at Pokemon. You know, why are we sorting these, these creatures by type with our predetermined... Uh, you know, opinions about them. I would, I would encourage diversity in my gym the same way I'd, you know, encourage diversity in the workplace or um, in the political cabinet. God, this is exactly the kind of shit that David Foster Wallace would pull at dinner all the time. Every time I asked him just simple getting to know you questions about Pokemon and his tastes thereof, he would turn it into some kind of lefty Looney Tune dream about some vision for the future that was better than the world we live in. And I would just say, David, you have to look at the world the way it is. You have to look at the black soul that uh, undermines all of us and that we are trying to deaden by our self-medicating through drugs and alcohol and sex. That's not a thing that David could ever come to terms with. He was much more of, of, a, of a maximalist style, and his uh, a sort of uncompromisingly sympathetic uh, view of human nature eventually held back his views on Pokemon as well. Don't even get me started on normal types, right? What's normal about them? You're telling me a Squirtle isn't normal? Just because it's not conforming to your own ideas of what normal Pokemon are? How dare you? Jigglypuff is like an alien that crash landed on Mount Moon, and it's normal? Normal? I hate that term. I want it out of Pokemon, honestly. What should, what should it be? The new normal. What should it be instead? Regular? Regular Pokemon? Regular is also implying regular. I mean, we should just come up with different terms. You yeah. know? Like a regular Pokemon? Let's name one Kang- Kangaskhan? Let's just call it a kangaroo type. Kangaroo type. Done. Interesting. The kangaroo type. That's an, inter- an interesting we all know what point that means. you've we made. We'll get it. It's fine. Of course, we'll call it kind of like the, the cow type. Now, Tim, are you a Gen 1er? Am I a Gen 1er? Yeah. I'm a flat earther, if that's are you? A Gen 1-er is someone who only accepts the original 150 Pokemon as canon and kind of disregards the latter generations as cynical marketing attempts. Um, well, I can tell you, I got I got Sword and Shield on pre-order, and I can't wait to expand my horizons. But I've only played, uh, you know, up to Silver and Gold, and you know, I'm not really familiar with these new mods, but I can't wait to learn about them. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Tim. It was a real pleasure to talk to you after hearing your voice so much on Colby's Annoying Show. Hey, thank you very much, Brett. I hope you stick around. Have a good breakfast, buddy. Oh, I will, Brett. Tim out. 718-928-9732 if you'd like to be like Tim Keck and call into the show. That's 718-928-9732 if you'd like to call in to the Brady Sinellis Radio Show.
Hey guys, it's Colby again. Uh, just coming to you via another pre-recorded message. Uh, just wanted to let you know that the uh, situation is getting dire. Um, so if you would please, uh, I'm begging now, and this isn't like a, a thing where I, I like uh, kind of like faux, uh, ironically ask you to call the show. I am straight up begging you guys to send help. Uh, things have turned pretty dark. Uh, that there was that fat kid Piggy who I was talking about earlier, um, and. You know, in the heat of the moment, you're kind of you. You really don't know. It's kind of amazing to me how um, capable of anything humans uh, are. Um, And you know, you just kind of you you in the heat of the moment, you do something that you uh, uh, regret, and uh, then you're just kind of like the same person afterwards in a way. um, a long story short, Piggy is dead. Um, uh, how did he die? Well, uh, we killed him, uh, all like me and the rest of the boys. We kind of just like circled our rafts around him and, um, uh, beat him to death with, uh, um, the cooler, um, and some of the, uh, brews, um, which if you throw them at, uh, people can really hurt. Um, so, uh, we killed Piggy, uh, and it's just going to get worse unless you come and help us. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I'd say hurry up and uh, get out here. Uh, 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 anyway, here's Brett. Welcome back to the Brett Easton Ellis Radio Show. I'm Brett Easton Ellis, and we're broadcasting this from North Doheny Drive, just below Sunset Boulevard. We have another caller on the line, I believe. Caller, are you there on the line? Brett! Hi, who's this? This is Patrick Stewart. Oh my God, Patrick Stewart! Uh, you're my favorite part of uh, the movie uh, Logan. Oh, thank you kindly, Patrick. If you were a Pokemon, what kind of Pokemon would you be? I would be a Voltorb. Really? Is it because of your your head looks like a Voltorb? That's a hundred percent the reason. <laughs> Patrick, I love that answer. Also, they're soundproof, and my my head also functions at a soundproof level. It. What do you? In what way? No sound gets out. Gotcha. Now, uh, Patrick, I, you and I have had various dinners in L.A. over the years. Is that fair to say? That would be more than fair to say, Brett. And at those dinners. Would you say I bring up David Foster Wallace an unusual amount? Uh, I have to shake you uh, violently to stop. So, yes. I remember when we were at Pink's Hot Dogs last time, you wouldn't stop talking about how David Foster Wallace wrote a bigger book than you ever did. I mean, if you put all of my books together, they the page count would not equal that of Infinite Jest. It would not. I mean, even my, like, articles and stuff? All of it. Maybe your maybe your podcast if someone transcribed them. <laughs> That's essentially what I did for my last book. <laughs> and it you made a are, lot of people mad. You are brilliant, Brett. Brilliant. Patrick, that's so nice of you to say. Is it what's going on with you? What to what do I owe the pleasure of this call? Well, I I was going to say I have someone who can rescue your comrade Colby on the Hudson River. Really? Yes. That's uh, who? You might know him as Commander William Riker. 
<laughs> oh yeah. Yes. He's he's the captain while I'm away, and uh, he just wanted to say he's 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 piloting the Enterprise. The and Enterprise. He'll pick Colby up. The Enterprise. The the ship from Star Trek. Now, uh, presumably, the ship from the Enterprise could get there pretty immediately, given that it tramples at warp speed. As long as the Demetralian plate isn't collapsing, yes. Well, I hope to God that it's not. I wanted, Riker wanted to make it pretty clear what he was going to say, which was, Enterprise, we'll pick him up. Uh, I'm so glad to hear that. I don't want to leave Colby in the lurch, but I am having a very nice time trashing David Foster Wallace on his radio show. Let's continue. Proceed. Well, th- th- thank you, Patrick, and it was so nice to hear from you. Did you see me in American Dad? Uh, I've seen every episode of American Dad, and it informs a lot of the way I look at the world these days. I identify a lot with the American Dad. Okay. In what ways? Well, just that uh, um, we both seem to have very little patience for the uh, 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 long-time coming cultural changes that are going on at the moment because they're a personal inconvenience for me and my dinner companions and not so much because they pose any greater threat to the, to the survival of uh, the country. Ah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I was distracted. My, my beautiful wife, Sunny Ozell, is making some guajillo chili sauce, and she had me taste a bit, and I wasn't listening. Well, I understand that. Wahili chili sauce is one of the great pleasures of this world. The kind of thing that the millennials don't want us to be able to enjoy anymore. Is that so? That's something I probably believe, yeah. Ah, dreadful. I'm, chili I, sauce I, look, I, I, like, I like me fine. I'm just being a little, a little, a little devil. We are a little sour on the dead man besting you still. Yes. I carry a lot of bitterness around around that, but he did kind of say some bad things about me as well. So I feel like uh, it's about we're about even. Sure, but why bury the hatchet when you, the only living person, could do so? Exactly. Why? Exactly. Why? Why? Uh, why reach any kind of uh, uh, um, agreement when when uh, David Foster Wallace is not alive to defend himself? He's dead as shit. You said it, Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Kudos. Well, Patrick, I hope you have a terrific a Sunday afternoon. And it was so nice to talk to you again. We'll have to I, go I, back I, to I the am, hot dog I'm currently place. having sex now. Really? Right? As we speak? As we speak. My God, you dirty dog. <laughs> you'll see, you'll see, Brett. The older you get, the more you'll want a bone. Okay, Patrick, we'll talk to you later. Hey, write me in a movie. Goodbye. Okay. Patrick Stewart calling in to the Brady Stanellis radio show. That's 718-928-9732. Again, that's 718-928-9732. Look at that, another caller on the line. Caller, welcome to the Brady Stanellis radio show. Oi, Brett, is that you? What? Brett, you there? Yeah. Is that you, Brett? Yeah, who's this? Oi. Hey, it's Christian Bale. Really? Christian, yeah, I have been, been a big a fan of you long. ever since uh, 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 Re- uh, Rescue Dawn. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Brad. That means a lot to me. Hey, I, I just wanted to check in on something. Um, We never had a chance to 
connect afterwards uh, in the movie American Psycho. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you think I did a good job? I think you played Patrick Bateman to a certain uh, uh, level of charm that I didn't write him in the book. So in that sense, yes, I think you made him more palatable for audiences. You think I? You think I made him palatable? You think? Do you think I downplayed it to my audience? Everyone thinks you were super hot in American Psycho. Ah, oh, but that's just it, isn't it? I'm not trying to be hot, trying to disappear into a character. Right. Well, Patrick Patrick Bateman would have been the exact kind of guy you portrayed him in the movie, so I'm not really sure there's any such problem. All right. So you think I did a good job? Then? Yes, I think you did a good job, and I really, I have to say, Christian, I, you call me all the time on my personal line asking me this question, and for you to do it in a public forum like this is really quite embarrassing. No, it's just, you know, I'm talking to my therapist about it, and she says that maybe the reason that I keep asking the question is because you won't tell anyone else that I did a good job. So I thought maybe if I called you here, it would be like you telling other people that I good, did a good job. I just want I just want you to think that I did a good job. You're you so know? needy. You're so needy, Christian. You're so needy. Is that bad? You know what? Good point. I'm not sure it is. In this case, anyway. Christian? Yeah, all right. Let me just say it in a public yeah. forum. You did a great job playing Patrick Bateman. You did a great job. Thank you. Oh, God, he's crying again. Oh, what is this, a Tuesday night? What, Brett? Christian Brett, Bale crying to me on the phone. It must be a Tuesday. Brett, you there? I'm there. I'm there. I got another question for you. Okay. Um, okay, what is it? Have you, did you, have you seen that movie, The Big Short, where I've got the wonky eye in? Sure, I thought it was uh, exceptional. Sure, sure. Um, it's maybe not becoming to ask this, but um, in that movie, did you think I did a good job? Yes, Christian, I thought you did a good job. Can I go around about my show now? Meeting yeah. every every uh, uh, insecurity you have? I'm sorry. Brett, I got one more question. You've been asking other people what Pokemon you think they'd be. Yes, what, what Pokemon, Pokemon do you, do you think, think you'd be? Do I think I would be? Yeah. A Tauros? Tauros, that's interesting. Yeah. Toros. Brett, I got a question for you. Sure. Go on. If I, if I were in a movie and someone hired me to play a Toros, do you think I could do you think I could do a good job doing that? <laughs> Christian, only you can know that, my friend. Clearly, no matter how many times I say it, it doesn't matter to you. Yeah, I guess you're right. I want you to empower yourself, Christian. I want you to know that you can do a good job and that your opinion is all that matters to you. Huh. I guess I ain't never thought about it that way before. Look, I gotta go, okay? So maybe we can talk about this sure. some other time. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Brett. I'll call you on Tuesday. Oh, 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 okay. Jesus. I'll talk to you then. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
Oh, boy. 718-928-9732 is our number here on the Brett Easton Ellis podcast. And one of the things I love to talk about on the Brett Easton Ellis podcast is dinners. I, oh, what? What's that? Another call. How how about that? Uh, caller, you're on the air with me, Brett Easton Ellis. I'm seated in an office surrounded by heads and bodies. My posture is consciously congruent to the shape of my hard chair. <laughs> this is a cold room in university administration. Woodwalled, Remington hung double windowed against the November heat, insulated from the administrative sounds by the reception area outside at which Uncle Charles, Mr. Delint, and I were lately received. I am in here, and so is Charmander, you stupid bitch. Oh, no. The first, the real first Pokemon. Challenge yourself, you stupid bastard. (laughs) Oh, no. Is this who I think it is? Is this... Fucking David Foster Wallace, you hack, ironic, goofy, egg-headed bitch. David, David, I don't want to air this in a public forum. I think this... Did you hang up? Yeah, you don't want to hear this in a public forum. Okay. Because you know what? That was page three of fucking 1,000 and... Can't even get to the end. 1,079 pages, you grumpy bastard. David, just because your your book is uh, uh it's mostly footnotes, okay? Your book is mostly footnotes, and if you took all of those out, it would be about the same size as Rules of Attraction. That's a load of horseshit, you egg-headed motherfucker. There's eight hundred, there's nine hundred eighty-one pages of classic text in small point, little single space. Okay, I don't hear any of this. David, David, David. What you need to realize is that if I was a Pokemon, I would be the Pokemon. No, I would be Turtwig, okay? (laughs) I would be Turtwig, and I would contain multitudes on my back. What? You would be Turtwig. Yeah, I would be fucking Turtwig. Well, good for you. Yeah, it is good for me, okay? Would you say you'd be Tauros? Yeah, I'd be Tauros, because I'm a bull. There's a line in the Pokedex that says Taurus is famous for trying to suck its own wiener. (laughs) So it figures that that would be who you are, okay? Whereas Turtwig supports communities on its back with its compassion and its single leaf that grows into a large, beautiful landscape. Look, David, just because you're always jealous of me in my cool, ironic, Joan Didion ripoff style uh, 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 does not mean that you have to trash my taste in Pokemon, which I think is pretty superior to yours. It's typical that you would think that, that you would think that a one-note minimalist Pokemon that doesn't even have the chance to evolve, much like, you're writing, bungity bungity, <laughs> that's right, P-E-E, you crunchy bastard, I've done it again. I can't believe you. Fuck you. <laughs> I can't believe you would do this to me. Well, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's what's the name of your Pokemon again? Turtwig? Turtwig. It's typical Cordera. that... You would, it's typical that you would pick Turtwig that has so much going on because your writing is, is, is equivalent uh, 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 to a, a sandwich with too many toppings. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, 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 oh. Your, sa- your writing is equivalent to a sandwich that is the same color because there's nothing in it and it turns into a turd of the same color because there is no transformation that happens. 
you know why all these movies have been more successful than your books? It's because there's nothing to them. The ironic, uh, irony-loving, mass consumer elite capitalist society eats that shit up because it's nice and easy. Not like Turtwig, who grows. Man, it's crazy. This is, uh, uh, yeah, this is pretty right on. I have to say, but uh, you know, aside from this, aside from this, are we, we'll still play tennis, and uh, next week we'll play tennis. I am good to play tennis next week, um, under the provision that you do not tell everybody about the time that we were at dinner at the Prince in Koreatown. And I saw Veronica Taylor, who was the voice of Ash Ketchum, and I went over to her table and I made her say, "Brett Easton Ellis, use Thunderbolt." At the top of her lungs, despite her protest day. If you promise to not tell anybody about that, I'm good to keep playing tennis. Okay, I promise not to tell anyone about that, but I did uh, write a short story that says uh, Egghead yells Thunderbolt in uh, the hot dog stand. So, But that's not about you. That's about this is a different idea about kind of art's redemptive quality and uh, what fic- fiction is being humankind and shit like that. But it's just not related, so don't think of it to be as such. Okay, I'll take your word for it, buddy. No problem, bud, bud. Well, thanks for calling. It's good to talk to you. I love you. Hey, I love you, too. Uh, can't wait to smack some green balls, um, and uh, you suck big time. <laughs> right back at you, my friend. Okay. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Here's, uh, uh, here's the he, – thanks, David. Here's the Eagles. I like the way it's sparkling 